Well, open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. You shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not diminish it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go, get yourself straw where you can find it. None of your work will be diminished. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. Also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, and they say to us, Make brick! Indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle! You are idle! Therefore you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore go now and work, for no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, You shall not diminish any bricks from your daily quota. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us a stench in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see your word to us in this text. Lord, we pray that you would free our hearts from distraction, keep our minds from wandering, help us to focus on your
commands, the history of your people, what especially we learn about you in our text tonight. Keep us, Father, we pray. Help me to speak boldly and with power, demonstration of the Spirit to build up your people in the most holy faith. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. We noted last time that chapter 4 ends with God, Moses, and the people all in harmony. That this situation is rare, and sure enough, it does not last very long. Chapter 5 tells us the story of the opening debacle in this attempt to free God's people from Egypt. Essentially, God's promise of deliverance is announced and then all hell breaks loose. What's the question that this raises for us? Well, the question for us is, can you stand the disappointment? When you change something you're doing, when you change your life to try to obey God better, and that makes life worse, how will you respond? you pull a Moses and Aaron and step out in faith and say, God told me to do this, I'm going to do it. And sure enough, a good chunk of hell breaks loose. What then? Moses' initial effort in this chapter to obey God does make everything worse. What we'll see is that when that happens, take it to God and commit it to Him. Take it to God. story opens with Moses and Aaron going in and demanding in a very memorable phrase, thus says the Lord, let my people go. We spent the sermon last week criticizing that phrase. How they departed from the script in chapter 3, verse 18. And indeed, the whole of verses 1 through 3 is honestly makes us cringe. It's a little uncomfortable because it so accurately portrays how we set about obeying God. It's all here. The moral fervor, the total butchering of what God actually said, the harsh rebuff from the world's powers, and the scrambling to rephrase and do damage control. It's happened before. It's happened since the time of Moses and Aaron. Moses messed up big time in verse 1. We talked about that. He didn't do what God said. He didn't bring the elders. He didn't deliver the script the way God told him to deliver it. And therefore, Pharaoh rejects God's word in verse 2. Who is the Lord? I don't know the Lord. What's Pharaoh's excuse for rejecting the Lord? Maybe he heard God's word wrong. Maybe Moses messed up the delivery. And it's true, Moses did mess up the delivery. But that does not let Pharaoh off the hook. Any more than it does us. Right? All too easily we can say, well, I was taught theology by somebody who was very unsavory in other respects. My parents attempted to make me memorized the catechism, and they were awful people. I was at a church that had blah, blah, blah wrong with it. Yes, 
Pharaoh just heard the word of God butchered, but that doesn't let him off the hook any more than it lets us off the hook. Pharaoh was required to submit to God's word, and so are we. You have something better than the king of Egypt did. He had sovereign power over the richest, most powerful nation in the world. You have citizenship in the kingdom of God. Your position is greater than Pharaoh's. Your blessings are greater. Your responsibilities are greater. Maybe not in terms of political power, but in terms of spiritual riches. So don't reject the word of God, even if it comes to you from a flawed speaker. Well, verse 2 gives us a preview of the next 10 chapters. Pharaoh wants to know who the Lord is. Chapters 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, etc. will show Pharaoh who the Lord is. The Lord is the one who majestically plagues Egypt for the sake of delivering his people. For the sake of bringing his worshipers out so that they can serve him. That's who the Lord is. Pharaoh's going to learn that. So are we as we look at the text of Exodus. So Moses and Aaron get the harsh rebuff. They understand that they completely flubbed it in verse 1 and that Pharaoh's response in verse 2 is not favorable. And so in verse 3, they make us cringe by how they scramble, they backtrack. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to Yahweh our God. Right? The please has magically reappeared on their lips. Somehow they remembered suddenly that God said to say please. So they say it. And then they give this gross slander about God. He will fall upon us with pestilence or the sword. What? Where did God say that he would fall upon them with pestilence or with the sword? He never said such a thing. Sass. Sass. Stop. Kenny, tell her no. Obeying God will not keep you from backing yourself into awkward situations. Moses and Aaron backed themselves into an awkward situation by disobeying God. But even if you obey God, you can get into an awkward situation where you will want to backtrack. But God was not going to plague Israel for failing to go worship him. Moses and Aaron knew that. But in their scramble to find something, anything to say to Pharaoh that might change his mind, they just threw out this phrase of total nonsense. So it all goes downhill from there. Pharaoh immediately, kind of Pharaoh is used to dealing with recalcitrant slaves, he immediately institutes a new no-straw policy. And the effect of this policy is to make the people essentially beg to go back to the old conditions. I really, really liked last week's form of slavery. 
far better than what we have now. God makes the people want, no, God doesn't make the people want, Pharaoh makes the people want their old slavery. Now, there are lots of questions that can come up here, even with verse 4. Get back to your work. Are Moses and Aaron slaves? If not, why not? There's no indication in the text of Exodus that they have to go and work, except here, Pharaoh tells them to get back to work. But if they are slaves, why are they allowed to come in and talk to Pharaoh? Of course, the narrative is not interested in answering those questions for us. Narrative doesn't tell us why these various things are are happening. It's interested in getting to the point. And what's the point? Knowing God and watching Him keep the promises He made to His people. So Pharaoh institutes a no-straw policy. Now, in those days, much of the architecture in Egypt was built of mud bricks. You would go down to the Nile, you would get some mud, and you would put it into a mold, set it out in the sun to harden into a brick. Now, the downsides of this kind of architecture, particularly if it happens to rain, should be fairly obvious. So what was added to these bricks to make them a little sturdier was straw. And supposedly, according to the commentators, as the straw decomposed, it released some kind of acid that made the bricks much sturdier. Now, I don't know whether that's true. Commentators claim that it is true. Most of these commentators, as I understand it, never were slaves in Egypt, never worked in brickyards, have spent their whole life reading books about the Bible. But... That's what they say, that straw actually helps the brick be a better brick. Pharaoh shuts off straw supplies. What does that tell us? It tells us that sin is irrational. Pharaoh is not actually interested in having bricks. He's not actually interested in the good even of having a lot of slaves. Or the good of having his construction projects done sooner. What's Pharaoh's goal? To defy God. He's just interested in opposing God. And so, even though the whole point of having slaves, allegedly, is to get these monumental construction projects done, Pharaoh essentially prevents them from doing just that. By banning the straw supply. What does that tell us about sin? Sin cuts itself off at the knees. Sin is never the way to pursue the good you think you want. If he really enjoyed being rich, being prosperous, being the ruler of many slaves, having a great kingdom, he would not have cut off the straw supplies. But what he enjoyed more than having his construction projects done was being able to defy God. Pharaoh shows us that the good we think we're pursuing through sinful methods is a good that those same sinful methods are actually going to take from us. I really want X and I'm prepared to sin to get it. Well, if X is a good thing, sin can't give it to you. Sin, in fact, can only take it from you. 
I want my children to be happy, therefore I will scream at them to be happy. I want my slaves to obey me and make bricks, therefore I will take away their straw. Well, they come and they say, why? There's two classes of overseers here, mentioned in verse 14. Pharaoh has taskmasters, and these taskmasters then appoint from the slave population certain trustees or foremen who run the actual construction projects and do the work. So we have Pharaoh, taskmasters, foremen, and then slaves down at the fourth level. And these foremen bypass the taskmasters and come straight to Pharaoh and say, please, what is the deal? You want your quota, right? You want the bricks? Could you give us straw? We'll make you bricks. We're happy to make you bricks. What does Pharaoh scream at them? Verse 17, lazy. You are lazy. In Pharaoh's mind, there's only two conditions, being a hardworking slave or being a lazy slave. There's no such thing as genuine religious devotion. The idea that they actually want to go sacrifice to the Lord doesn't even enter his head. He has no concept of freedom because he doesn't know the Lord. He flattens human life into work and sleep because he doesn't know the Lord. There's no place for worship in the economy that Pharaoh runs. So he takes away the straw needed for bricks because he doesn't want bricks. He wants to defy God. So let me ask you, what's the most irrational sin you've ever indulged in? Or put another way, what is your besetting sin? That's an irrational sin. Sin does not exist to give you a good time. Sin exists to give God the middle finger. So looking to sin to give you some good, well, giving God the middle finger is a mission that's doomed to failure. So sin turns its efforts towards wrecking and destroying God's creatures, and especially the sinner. We'll get to watch Pharaoh's slow-motion train wreck over the next ten chapters. Well, the foremen come and say, could we please have straw? Please, straw, straw. We want to make your bricks, Pharaoh. And how does Pharaoh respond? First he says, you're lazy, verse 17. But then he says, therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. The foreman didn't say that. The foreman did not ask to go sacrifice to the Lord. Pharaoh is obsessed with sacrificing to God. He can't even hear their request for straw because in his mind, they're asking for time to go worship God. Why is Pharaoh obsessed with going and sacrificing to the Lord? Because his conscience is niggling him. He said he didn't know the Lord. Well, he appears to know just a little bit more than he lets on. He's sitting there thinking they want to go sacrifice to Yahweh. They want to go sacrifice to Yahweh. So when they walk in and say, straw, he says, Yahweh, no! Ever done that? 
Have you ever had your conscience bothering you about something? And somebody asks you a question about some other topic, and you instantly turn and cut loose on them on the topic where you're insisting on defying God. Pharaoh, because he was unwilling to repent, had to harden his heart and sit there and brood over their desire to worship the Lord and his desire to stop them from worshiping the Lord. When your heart wants to harden itself, when your conscience is bothering you and you're saying, I could repent or I could double down, which way will you go? Harden your heart or soften your heart? You've heard of the magnificent obsession. Pharaoh's obsession is the opposite of that. It's a pathetic, wretched, contemptible obsession. He was obsessed with looking good over against God. He was obsessed with looking better than God. And that obsession made him look just terrible. So that's the bricks without straw debacle. Sin is irrational. Pharaoh gets obsessed with this request to sacrifice to the Lord. The foremen leave his presence recognizing, verse 19, they saw that they were in trouble. They saw that Pharaoh had made up his mind to punish them for Moses' words. And so they come walking out of Pharaoh's palace, and Moses and Aaron are standing there, ready to take their medicine. They know what they're going to hear. And sure enough, they hear it. The foreman said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge. You have made us a stench in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. The time honored technique. Things are going really poorly. Therefore, I will turn on my leaders and crucify them. We do it in the state, but we especially do it in the church. It's our pastor's fault. Moses tried to step out in obedience, and that really hurt some of his own people who were being held to impossible production norms and then beaten when those norms were not met. Maybe you tried to serve God faithfully in your family and earn the wrath of your parents or your grown children. Maybe you've tried to put into practice a more biblical model of worship, family time, keeping the Sabbath, cutting out the R&M rated entertainment. And it's made everything worse. Time-honored solution, find your nearest spiritual leader and take it out on him. If you haven't wanted to assault your pastor, at least verbally, just wait. The desire will probably come. When it does, I may not even hold it against you. But I will ask this, certainly about our text. Does chewing out Moses solve anything? Anyway, is it even factually accurate? Had Moses put a sword in the hand of Pharaoh and his servants to kill us? To kill the Hebrew slaves? No. Pharaoh and his servants had held that sword in their hand for centuries. 
That's why the Hebrews were slaves. Standing up for the word of God had provoked a temporary increase, causing Pharaoh to turn up the heat. Pharaoh had, Moses had not actually increased Pharaoh's power over the slaves. In fact, quite the reverse. So Moses takes his medicine and then he goes and returns to the Lord. And he confronts the Lord with two whys. Why have you brought trouble on this people? We're going to look more at these next week, but why is it you have sent me? Two whys and then a bitter condemnation. Since I came to Pharaoh to do what you said, God, this was your idea. I spoke in your name and you have not delivered this people at all. Not at all. Maybe if you had cut their work norm by 5% a day, I would grant that we were getting somewhere, Lord. But you haven't done anything at all. You try to obey and things will get worse. That's the way of this fallen world. Don't be surprised when obedience makes things worse. God will rescue you when you've had enough. But his enough mark is usually when the chaos waters are well over your head. That's typically the moment he chooses to rescue But he will rescue us, which is where the next chapter goes. Jesus obeyed his way right onto the cross. You can do that too. Or you can irrationally defy God like Pharaoh and therefore thereby forfeit the very good you think you're trying to protect. If you think resisting God and conscience, hardening your heart against the knowledge that you are wrong, will be less painful than taking up your cross and following Jesus, you're an idiot. It will always hurt more to fight God and your conscience than it will to bear the yoke of Christ. So what kind of situations am I talking about? Well, anywhere where you're sinning in an irrational fashion, or I can just say anywhere where you're sinning. Any indulgence you allow yourself? Any sin you get to practice? Anything you do that you wouldn't give somebody else a pass for, but you do give yourself a pass because you're you? Stop doing that. Or if you've tried to obey God in the past and it made everything work and you, worse and you said, forget that, that is one area where God will not see me try to obey. I tried to get my family to read the Bible together. I tried to increase my giving to the church. I tried to right, fill in the blank with some good deed what you tried to do. I tried to tell my boss about that time I stole from the company and it was clear that he wasn't very receptive and so I just dropped it. And I have yet to come clean. Don't say 
Well, I started down the path of obedience and things got hard, so I quit. Nope, not going that way. There's another path over here with less resistance. It hurts to follow Jesus, but it hurts more to run from him. Don't be surprised if things get worse when you try to obey. But don't pursue the irrationality of sin. Pursue the rationality of the logos. The wisdom of Jesus. Do it and you'll see the salvation of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we don't like to admit that obedience hurts. We have a hard time with that. Father, we pray that you would bless us in our obedience and that you would encourage us with blessings as we try to do what you would have us to do. But Father, more than that, we ask that you would help us to trust that obedience is better even if the short-term consequences appear to be uniformly worse. Help us to do what's right, even if we've met resistance on that path before. Help us to obey you. Help us to take it back to you when our obedience makes things worse. We thank you for Moses' example, and we pray that you would help us to imitate it, to go to you, and to hear your promise, to see how you do deliver your people. Lord, give us the grace to trust you and to obey you as we need to, as you deserve to be obeyed. We pray these things in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.